Hello and welcome to episode two of Good Good, the golf podcast that's all good and all golf. My name's Rod Murray and I'll be your host on this regular journey into corners of the golf world where most others fear to dread. Nothing is off limits at Good Good and the only rule is if it's going to be on the show, it has to be interesting. That of course is subjective, so to help keep me from becoming some sort of content dictator, I'll be joined each episode by my co-hosts, path guru, Adrian Logue, and feed the ball host, Derek Duncan. Let's bring in Derek first, since Adrian already had a turn on episode one. Derek, no pressure, but I hope you've prepared something special for your historic first utterance on Good Good, keeping in mind it will be available for eternity. Welcome, my friend. Thank you, and this is the only environment where I feel comfortable saying the word mate. So uh, <laughs> glad to be with you guys. I don't say that enough. Good to have you aboard well, too. Done. And yes, g'day as we might say. Looking forward to talking all things golf with you, as I am with our other co-host who comes to us this week from Denmark and neatly completes the holy grail of podcasting by making it three hosts on three different continents in three different time zones. Adrian Lake, big welcome to you. I know you've got some golf experiences to share with us this week from your travels through both Denmark and England, but lots of other stuff to chat about as well. Uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting about that in the flagship podcast of the Talking Golf Network, Talking the golf. Good Good Golf Podcast. Talking golf network that's exactly right looking forward to all that as well those who tuned into the preview show a bit over a week ago have got a bit of an idea of what the good good podcast is going to be all about it is as adrian says the flagship show or one of the it's flagship, flagship. they were all flagships really on the talking golf network maybe it's first among equals who knows but uh, head over to talkinggolf.com and check out some of our other shows including derek's feed the ball have you got an episode to drop this week derek did i see you tweet uh, a- coming out uh yeah tomorrow which would be uh monday u.s uh Maybe so it'll about the same time this one drops, I guess. Yeah, well, this one will be out early because I'll have this one this afternoon, so I win. So it's there important that I this win because will... it's my network. So it'll uh, <laughs> be good looking forward <laughs> yes. to that because you, you better go be first. Quiet, the, you, so this will be officially be a, a preview of that, yes. Yeah. So look for that uh, <laughs> yeah. episode with Trip Davis. Yeah, well, which I'm, oh, cool. yeah, absolutely. What you do really well, I reckon, Derek, is uncover guys that I didn't know I needed to hear from. And then I hear from him and I go, gee, I'm glad I heard from him. So looking forward to hearing. Uh, no, it's, hear- a good, it's a good one. And, and Trip, one of the things that makes Trip unique, other than being a very fine designer, is, is that he's played golf at the highest amateur levels. He's uh, performed quite well in, in am- U.S. amateurs and mid-amateurs and, um, you know, as a plus handicap player. So he kind of understands that side of, of golf, not just as an architect, but as a, an elite player as well. So he has a unique perspective on that, and uh, obviously we talk quite a bit about that in our discussion. It's always an interesting discussion, that one, isn't it? I mean, Mackenzie, of course, was famously, what, about an 18 marker, I think? Not a particularly good player, and there's always that discussion about it. And Jack Nicholas, of course, was criticised heavily for a lot of his very his early work in particular uh, for being yes. a good player and designing courses that only suited his style <laughs> of play. So it's always hard to know which is, uh, which is ideal. There. And then, of course, you've got Mike Clayton, who's a former professional whose design work is fantastic. Gil Hans, I think, is a pretty handy player. Tom Doak's about a 10 marker. So uh, it doesn't seem to be any hard and fast rules. Looking forward to hearing that uh, chat with Trip Davis. You can also hear on the network Kurt Tyrrell's excellent uh, course reports, which is a golf course, uh, show about golf course superintendents. Here's some really interesting stuff on there. Uh, State of the game, for those who've been uh, familiar with that over the years, with myself and Mike Clayton and Jeff Shackelford. Um, what else is on there? I can't oh, yeah, Feed the Ball, of course. And our betting show, which feed I don't promote very much because, no, who knows, that's a little bit... Uh, they're good bit, shows. They're, they're not, none of them are the flagship, but they're, they're good. <laughs> Derek, you do a great job with your shows. I think it does, too. Let's not... We'll, we'll so talk I guess about if, this is the flagship, if this is the flagship, that, does that make you the admiral? 
Rod? I'm not sure. That's a tough one. So I don't fly, Adrian, so I'm happier with the like sailing first, term. First mate. Certainly not the pilot. Listen, enough of all that jibber. Talkinggolf.com. <laughs> go there and check out uh, some of those shows. Let's talk about what we wanted to talk about today, episode two. So we're still kind of finding our feet with what we're going to chat here about content-wise. So let's start with some newsy stuff. But, Adrian, I want to come to you first. The Dunhill Links was probably the premier event this week, though I think the one most of us who, uh, who like course architecture were interested in. It's always great to watch professional golf at the old course. You, however, are not convinced. What's your problem? Problem with the Dunhill Links as an event. Then we'll come to some of Rory's problems with the Dunhill Links and the European Tour yep. in general. Oh, look, I don't know. It it's it should be a tournament that I look forward to every year. It's a professional golf tournament on the old course, and yet somehow it, I just can't get excited about it. Um, I turn it on and I really try and watch it and enjoy it, but it, it just somehow doesn't grab me. A part of it, I think it, it's a terrible coverage like it's one of the worst it's not not quite the uh pebble beach at&t um <laughs> where like you it's just your eyes are just bleeding at seeing these celebrities um hit terrible <laughs> golf shots and take forever over the ball and then tell terrible jokes and get up to various stupid antics it's not quite at that level but it's not far off and uh justin timberlake did a lot to contribute to that this year i thought you um, weren't happy with him were you i actually switched it off one time when justin timberlake he rolled up about a 30 foot putt to one foot and marked the ball and and then like backed off and and let everyone else putt and then lined his putt up his one foot up and then knocked it in eventually but this is the amateur in the group and yeah, didn't just walk up and tap it in or walk up and pick it up. And no, he's just far too important. He had to mark his one-footer and wait for everyone else to putt and then putt in his turn to knock in his one-foot putt. And I, I was kind of a bit over it after that. But I think with the coverage, they switch around from the courses quite a lot and you can't really tell what course everybody's on. They don't actually show – well, they should, They briefly showed a graphic on screen. Anyway, I, I think they could improve the coverage and I'd enjoy it more, but – so yeah. it's, it's not on me, it's, it's them. I they've, think there's, there's a logistical a problem there. And they had the same thing with the Pebble Beach. There's just too many people on too many courses, and they've got a couple of cameras at the yeah. other courses, but there's one main course, which is always going to be the old course. Uh, generally speaking, Derek, the Pro-Am is one of the great things about golf. What about the Celebrity Pro-Am? Is it the gift that keeps on giving, or has it had its day? I think what golf really needs is new celebrity golfers i mean like a pebble beach pro am it's just the same people every year that get on camera and um some of them are well known and others are only known because they show up in like the pebble beach pro am now pro am should never be televised by the way it should it's not interesting to anybody but the people who are playing in it and their families i guess to see them on television but it's just the the same recycled figures over and over and i guess now they're sending them over to to the UK as well. I did not know that Justin Timberlake was in the Dunhill Cup. Um, I don't have much. I don't have much patience for uh, celebrity golfers anyway. So um, it's just a not. But they're so funny. Story to me, I think they should kill. They're it. so funny when they get up to hijinks on the course. I know it's great. It's it's just hilarious. I, everybody, I can't wait to see what Bill Murray's going to do next next year. The bar is so low for Bill Murray <laughs> to make to do anything humorous. Like he just has to make a silly face or something, and everyone's in hysterics. It's a highlight reel. Wear two yes. gloves. Yeah. That's all he needs to do. 
Um, yeah, no, that's ridiculous. Uh, I, I will disagree about one point, Adrian. I always quite enjoy the really bad shots, uh, all that contrived nonsense that they do. And I think Pebble Beach, they're probably more guilty of it. Is it the Saturday they do all that, Derek, where the whole day is kind of devoted to interviewing celebrities on the 17th tee and all that mm-hmm. sort of nonsense? But the bad golf, I, I, well, I quite enjoy. You do. <laughs> do you not take any any joy out of watching somebody who's particularly good at something else or famous? Just I was watching. Who's Jamie Redknapp? Does anybody know? A guy called Jamie Redknapp was playing with Luke Donald, I think. No. And I watched him just blade it no, straight into a bunker. Well, that's fantastic. And then he sort of chopped it out and Did he? fatted another one. And no, he got on with it. He took. He, he wasn't taking his time. Yeah, I was going to say it was wonderful yeah, to watch. That, that's fantastic. the thing. I don't, I don't mind them hacking it around if they can cut to them like just before they're going to swing because. They all take far too long over the ball. Like, like you know, you, you just know that they're not going to produce a good shot. And I think but they the still play every is, every shot like they're on TV. And if there's genuine shame and humiliation, then it's worth watching. So perhaps that's the key to it. They need to to have the stuff on replay. I don't feel that ever happens. I mean, they they know they're on television and they're playing at at Pebble Beach or you know Spyglass or. The old course. I mean, how miserable could they be? That's, I mean, and they're they're millionaires. So, I would like to see them just. I'd rather pay their have own a hidden way. camera at their club. <laughs> you know, right. losing money to the guy. That, you know, two lockers down that they hate and snapping a club <laughs> over their knee. I'd, I'd rather see <laughs> that's that. Right. Real golf yeah. brought to you by. Um, Interesting stuff. Of course, it was won by uh, the tournament itself, the tournament proper. And this is the problem with it. Of course, when you come down to Sunday afternoon, you've got these amateurs who are essentially in the way of pretty big important moments for some of the players. Matthew Southgate uh, will be very disappointed with his. I don't know whether you guys watched the finish of it, but yeah. in terms of the professional tournament, it was quite compelling, the finish in the young French bloke, Perez, who lives in Scotland, got up and won, which I thought was terrific. But uh, what probably came out of it was oh, maybe the most interesting, I reckon, Derek. Tell me what you think about this. Here's some quotes from Rory McElroy, who's not been backward in coming forward about his disdain for the European Tour of late. Here's what he told uh, John Huggan after the round. I'm sort of, he, he finished, by the way, tied first in the team event with his dad. He played in the event because it was his dad's 60th birthday. His dad wanted to. His dad's, I think, a one or a scratch marker. Good golfer in his own right. They finished tied first but lost on a count back. And, you know, they were making plenty of that on the coverage. I'm sort of honestly sick of coming back over to the European Tour and shooting 15 under par and finishing 30th, said McElroy. Uh, I don't think the courses are set up hard enough. There's no penalties for bad shots. It's tough when you come back and it's like that. I don't feel like good golf is regarded as well as it could be. It happened in the Scottish Open at Renaissance. I shot 13 under and finished 30th, actually tied 34th. It's not a good test. I think if the European Tour wants to put forth a really good product, the golf courses and setups need to be tougher. This is right up your alley, Derek Duncan. Has he got a point about golf in Europe, Rory, or is it just another opportunity to take a shot at Keith Pelley? It seems those two just do not get on. Well, I think it's the latter. He Rory has an excellent point. I mean, I think that that those of us who, who love golf courses agree with with his points about the low scoring. But I don't I don't understand why he thinks it's any better in the PGA Tour. I mean, the PGA Tour courses are set up to optimize scoring almost every single week, where they keep the golf courses so soft and they don't put the pins in difficult you know positions where where they could. Um, and last I looked, you know, fifteen under par and the average PGA Tour event might land you in, in the 30th place many weeks. So uh, he's got a great point, but I don't see why he's pointing to the PGA Tour and, and American golf courses as you know some kind of um, a, a, a better situation or setup. Of, uh, yeah, where the where the setups are are that much more demanding. So as somebody pointed out in one of the replies to that tweet, Patrick Cantlay shot 22 under at Medina and finished, I think, 15th at Medina. 
<laughs> just right. supposed mm-hmm. to be yep. one of the, the mm-hmm. beasts of American golf. Do we know what the root cause of this issue that Rory has with the European Tour, Adrian? He really has been very public in his criticism. In fact, in his post-round television interview, he was sort of somebody suggested to him, oh, we know what your dad will get for his 61st birthday. Uh, he'll be coming back. And Rory kind of went, oh, I'm not sure I'm really up for it. On television. <laughs> so what's his problem, do you reckon? Yeah, he's always had a bit of a contentious relationship with them, hasn't he? Um, they want him over there, obviously, as often as they can. Um, but he doesn't really live well, he doesn't live there. Uh, he wants to base himself in, in the US and focus his energy on the big events over there. Um, and he comes across to Europe and plays just enough, sometimes some years not quite enough, and they have to make exceptions for him to maintain a uh, status where he can be on the Ryder Cup team. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I, behind the scenes, I'm not quite sure why but there's, there's it general, actually gets a little bit nasty. Yeah, but that certainly comes to the surface, it? doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, it comes to the surface. It's one thing to not be particularly mind. interested, but it's another to take, you know, very direct and, uh, and yeah. actual shots. It's great that he speaks his mind too, right? I think so too. I think it's a fantastic thing. But is there a danger, Derek? Are players too influential? When Rory speaks, these sorts of things, uh, he'll, that will be heard at European Tour headquarters. Who knows what might come of that? But do players have too much influence potentially, or some players? Rory would be one of the few, I think, who might carry some weight when he speaks like that. I don't know if it's too much influence. I mean, obviously your stars are going to have a big influence on the direction that your that your tour is going. I mean, those are, when Rory speaks, you know, millions of people listen, and he's the, one of the most bankable stars in golf, so... Um, as long as he's saying, as long as he's <laughs> right, as long as uh, he's saying things that are positive for the sport and things that that we are all thinking. Uh, but when you know another tour player comes up and says the opposite, you know, then it, then it, it is too much influence. So it just depends on the person. Uh, fortunately, I think we can we can trust Rory. I think he's got a, a pretty good perspective on golf, and he's a, a well-rounded man. And uh, I think he's worth listening to. Um, now, if, just to pick somebody. I don't somebody. think he's right about the course setup thing, by the way. I, I think it's more about the equipment. Yeah. But, yeah. But, now, if, uh, if, if Dustin Johnson wants to start, you know, just to pick one person, if he wants to come out and start, you know, opening his mind, you know, let it give us a peek inside of his thoughts. I'm, I'm not sure that we'll get the same kind of thoughtful uh, or, you know, <laughs> takes on, on golf. Um, so I, I think I, I think really – it's, if if it's well spoken and it comes from somebody who's obviously like like has thought about this on a deep level, then then it matters. Yeah, Rory's important for the games. I know I've said it a, a hundred times before, but the game's in better shape or the game's in good shape when Rory's the world's number one player, isn't it, Adrian? Because he's prepared to say things like this. Now, whether you necessarily agree with him or not, he hasn't. He doesn't say stuff lightly. He doesn't walk off because he's just shot seventy five. And, you know, throw the toys out of the cotton complaint. He is thoughtful. He is intelligent. And you feel a bit like Adam Scott he un- and Tiger, to his credit, understands the game at a much deeper level than just the bubble that he lives in. Yeah, look, I, I think, again, not to be too negative on all this, but like celebrities doing humour on golf courses, the bar is pretty low um, with all of the media training that all of the pros get and the the constraints that are put on them with their managers and constraints that they happily embrace. Um, Rory just acts like a human being. That, and that's not a terribly high bar to jump over, <laughs> to be honest. But You're he, rude um, today, aren't you? 
<laughs> but, you know, he acts like a human being and all credit to him for doing that. Um, just, yeah, wish more could do it. Um, yeah, he's still very self-centered with everything That's that true. he expresses, I think. Um, look, I, I think, I'd, yeah, they, they, there is this sort of... He is asked um, predominantly about himself, though, in fairness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can no, only respond that's, that's true. for the that's most true. part, so it's, it's generally... If he was to take it to the next level, I think I'd like to see him start um, talking about other causes. He has done that a little bit with, uh, uh, with charities he talked about um, last year. Oh, sorry, last uh, FedEx Cup final series. Um but uh, I'd like to see him do a little bit more of that. I think that was that was really does encouraging. Remember when he went to Haiti in 2010 and came back and just played like a man possessed after a change of perspective? Do you remember that, Derek? Was the no, not particularly. Haiti. Yeah, he visited no. Haiti after the earthquake. Haiti? Yeah, he was only he was only young then. It was well, 2010, so uh-huh. he was uh, you know early 20s, late 20s. Really yeah. Came teenager. back with a, a completely changed perspective and just played like a man possessed for a good couple of months. Yeah. It was quite. Uh, I think he's got that in him. Like he's got some humanity too. and yeah, he's. Um, I always come back. I, to I him. Think he's, he's a decent. Yeah, player. I mean, Rory Rory is, seems to be somebody who who carries a lot with him. You know, he doesn't have that uh, a very he doesn't have a nonchalant. Uh, air or disposition to. I mean, I think, and I think he's aware of that. Going back to these comments about the golf and the European Tour course setups. I mean, I, I think he just they that that tour and and Ireland and and so many people like rely on him so much. I think it's just it's it's a burden for him. You know, he he'd love to be just you know to take those shackles off and not be responsible and 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 have to answer for everything. And um, I think that this is sort of just kind of a, a way to sort of push push away from the table and say like i can't do everything for you guys you know i gotta yeah. i gotta concentrate on, on my own things and my own wishes and um i think that's what this is more than anything else now when somebody does ask him like a different question he, he's he is thoughtful and gives gives really smart reasoned answers but i think in this particular case it's him just saying you know figure it out on your own i'm not you know i'm not your can't be your bell cow for everything uh good point and yes of course in, as we do in australia uh adrian we, we look to Adam Scott in particular, and Jason Day, don't we, to be our Mark Leishman to an extent, Cameron Smith these days. Uh, we put a lot of pressure on those players to do things for Australian golf, don't we? And that's not necessarily fair. So you can understand that. Yeah, Come and we take great joy whenever any of those express some human characteristics. Well, Adam, Adam's uh, the best at it. Adam Scott does it. Yeah. He, he's yeah. extremely thoughtful and extremely level-headed and extremely balanced, and you know he's got everything. He's a grown-up. He really is a grown-up. He's got everything that a man could want yeah. in life, but he uh, he takes the time to think about stuff. Best of luck to him. Now let's come to what you've been up to, Adrian, because I'm intrigued to hear about. You've been sending a couple of photos on the text messages, and you've sent out a couple of tweets. You've played a couple of very intriguing golf courses in your uh, most recent trip. I think you're in Denmark at the moment, but you went through England. Tell us about what you've been up to, because I love hearing your stories about. A particularly golf in Denmark, which seems to me, from what you tell me, to be a real undiscovered market of just gems of golf courses. Yeah, there's some really great golf in Denmark. Um, there's something I like. There's some fantastic heathland. I think the heathland in Europe in general is really underrated. Like we know more Fontaine and um, some places in France, uh, Chantilly and. Um, Fontainebleau, uh, but apart from that, there's really like I defy, and you don't see these courses on the European tour, and it, all you, all you see on the European tour is big manufactured uh, modern golf courses, really. Um, 
which is a shame because if you go a little bit further afield in uh, in Europe, there's some fantastic heathland and uh, beautiful inland courses. Um, and in Denmark, uh, yeah, there's uh, a course near where um, I, I work in Denmark uh, when we're over here, and that's um, a place called Silkeborg. And it, it did actually host the um, Made in Denmark tournament a couple of years ago. Thomas Bjorn's um, home club or hometown, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right. Thomas Bjorn's home club. Yeah, beautiful um, heathland course set through um, old forest and uh, big changes of elevation and um thomas bjorn actually redesigned a couple of holes on that um so i might post a couple of photos of that um from this trip and also i played another course called uh holster which is at various times it's been ranked like one or two in denmark um and that's a superb course it's absolutely breathtaking and it's a it's probably it's one of those courses one of the best courses nobody's ever heard of and it's just it's quite amazing another heathland course set on much more dr- dramatic terrain than Silkeborg and uh, has a that really classy sort of big property feel about it. But like all Danish courses, it's very humble. Um, there's The clubhouse is incredibly nondescript, just very basic furniture. Um, what little money they have, they put into the golf course. Membership fees are very low. Um, and they've, uh, for the most part, I think the golfers that live around that town have no idea what they've got. It's just, no, oh, yeah, that's that's the golf course. Might be but the, they, they, the best, mightn't it? Because it, it strikes me from what you've told me that culturally there's a very different approach in almost always to golf in that Scandinavian part of the world to what we're used to here mostly in Australia and what I suspect Derek is used to uh, in America. Hmm. Yeah, there's an interesting mix of – like it, there's a couple of things. The way golf courses are run, I think, there's, a, there's very much a Scandinavian approach to how they run golf courses and it's – uh, making it, it's always done with a sensitivity to the environment. Um, Denmark's been leading the world with golf course maintenance and Banned eradication of Completely. yeah pesticides and herbicides. Um, they're, they're, I think they're on their way to eradicating them completely, uh, which isn't necessarily. I mean, that's a pretty tough constraint for mm. um, superintendents. Um, and I'd love to hear Kurt's um, thoughts on that actually, but. Uh, and, and look, I, most herbicides and pesticides are actual natural products. So how much damage they're doing, I don't know. And the concern is that they're getting into the water table. They want to keep that stuff out of the water table. But um, many of those things as well aren't toxic at all to humans. So um, uh, how much of that is a little bit um, alarmist, I don't know. But the the net result is nonetheless they have superb playing services in Denmark and they do it with very little staff and just a lot of really hard work. Um, and uh, they present their golf courses magnificently. Uh, and it's because, you know, they put their effort where they need to, so they don't go building concrete paths everywhere. Um, they There's very little coarse furniture that you see around, very few heights of rough. Um, the the rough only sort of gets they, – they only sort of venture in to maintain the rough at certain times of year. Um, otherwise, they'd just pretty much just let it grow. But they keep the fairways and the playing corridors wide enough that that's okay, um, and it all strikes quite a good balance. Uh, and the terrain is, as I said, beautiful. They, they've got wonderful heather um, and a lot of you know nice ground cover, and fescues grow really well. Fine-leafed grasses grow really well in this climate here. Um, and 
they, it produces um, beautiful golf, particularly in their summer. Um, strangely, culturally, the players lose all interest in the game in winter and they can't really play a lot in the winter. There's some courses that you can get year-round golf in. Um, it's either wet or absurdly cold. But uh, I just feel like in other countries, the culture of golf is such that people would um, persevere <laughs> and try and get more golf in yeah. if there's playable courses. Okay. But um, in Denmark, they just lose all interest in it for some reason. And well, what do they do? Down. Do they, do they it does another sport? Subs- I mean, are they ice skating? What are they doing in the winter? Uh, a lot of the gym's very popular. Um, a lot of and a lot of golf wow. clubs actually have a gym, or not mm. a lot of golf clubs, but some golf clubs have a gym. And uh, Working again, out. they they have all of this in memberships that are very affordable. Um, they're like a, a quarter of the price that we pay in Australia, and we pay probably a quarter of the price that you pay for a typical membership in the States. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and these are, and you generally have championship golf course, um, golf courses that are, they get to play on. So anyway, the couple of recommendations there, Holsterbro and uh, Silkeborg, mm-hmm. and another one I played called Trehoye, which is another um, uh, Heathland course and quite beautiful. The 16th hole at Trehoye has the reputation of being the most beautiful hole in Denmark. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at a photo of it actually at the moment, and it's, it's pretty good. It's nice. What, what it's makes quite, it quite so pretty. nice? What makes it so oh, it's attractive? Got, yeah, it's, it's all there in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a yeah. landing area. It's, yeah. it's got an elevated tee. It's like nice mm-hmm. sort of snaky fairway yeah. and um, heather lined either side. And yeah, it's very it's very pretty setting down in the little valley. Um, it's a nice nice hole. Leaving Are these um, courses old? Were they built like in the 20s yeah. during that period? Uh, some are, um, and there's a course, well, there's a very old course that I played today actually called, uh, Fainu, um, which is a, is a course in an island. It's, and unlike those other ones I just mentioned, it's a lynx and that makes it quite a rarity in Denmark because, uh, while Denmark has a lot of potentially great lynx land, um, there's, there's no building golf courses on lynx land in Denmark. There's, you know, their environmental concerns have just completely ruled that out. Um, some of those other courses are, were built in like the 70s and 80s um, just by local people. Um, and uh, more recently, there's a lot of uh, Robert Trent Jones um, Jr. And uh, uh, there's a Jack Nicholas, a big new Jack mm-hmm. Nicholas signature course called Great Northern that's been built. <laughs> Uh, built here as well, but Robert Trent Jones Jr. is is very popular. There's He's a bit of an American fascination. Yeah, the, the Danes have a bit of a, a fascination with America, um, and uh, while at the same time um, maintaining uh, you know great pride in all things Danish, um, they yeah you know, they they like to embrace certain aspects of American culture, and and the the big signature course is one of those things. Um, we're not a but, huge uh, here, are we, Adrian? Let's be. I think the whole world's no. got at least some infatuation with America, and understandably so. It's uh, it's quite the place. Yeah. What do you reckon? Listening to that, I'm assuming you haven't been to Denmark, Derek. I haven't been there. I have not. Yeah. No. When you hear Adrian talk about that, I often wonder what the links are between the local culture and the type of golf and the the way golf unfolds and is consumed 
by the locals. I love the sound of what Adrian's describing there, and it doesn't sound like almost anything that's near me here in Australia. I imagine that's true for you too in the States. I wonder what, you, what are those links, do you think, between whatever the local culture think- happens to be and then the way the golf is presented and consumed by those who, who play it? I think it, it depends on the economy, doesn't it? I don't know. Where are these courses you describe, Adrian? Are they near large cities? Do they have no? They're the, in little country who, towns. Nearby? Are they? Yeah, that's and, and yeah. even in the United States, I mean, so many people play golf just at their local golf course. I mean, we're we're infatuated with like well-known, famous, popular, highly ranked courses naturally, but you know, most people, I would assume, play golf within a few miles of where they live, and a lot of people don't live you know on long island where the the club you know down the street is is a top 100 yeah. club uh they play nine hole courses in a little country there are all kinds of great old little nine hole courses and courses out in the country in the in the, the midwest and the south yeah you know, people that's where how people play golf and when they're in these smaller towns uh and when you get into the big cities and people have more money and that's where the the jobs are and people you know, you know the the banking centers and the the legal centers. Uh, those people with more money join, you know, the the lush green country clubs. So I think it just depends on the the finances and the economy surrounding the golf course that defines the character of the golf. So it's, it yeah, sort of shifts the focus in some way. That that makes some sense. That's one of your great sort of uh, wishes, isn't it, Adrian? To to run around and find these small country golf courses in small out-of-the-way places and find the hidden gems, isn't it? Because, as we've discussed before, quite often, by accident, great golf holes are to be found in places that are completely unlikely. Absolutely. And actually, let me – I previously mentioned Feinu. And just to describe that, that's exactly one of those sort of courses. It's it's on Rand Morissette's list of custodians of the game, that Uh, list he put out uh, last year. Mm -hmm. It's the only Danish course that's on that list. Um, and I mentioned it to some Danish friends that I wanted to go out there and they all sort of scoffed a little bit. I don't know if they're going to be listening to this, but they, they all think of it as a bit of a joke. Um, it's just this rubbish sort of link that's on an island, a bit of a backwater of an island, and uh, uh, you hit off artificial mats um, off the tee and the course is barely maintained. Um, and I, I'm thinking some of that sounds great. I was going to have a look at that. <laughs> how do I get there? And, um, well, how do you get there? It's, it's, it's on this tiny island off Denmark's west coast. And you have to go, you go to this town called Esbjerg and get a, a little ferry ride across. Like you drive your car, one of those things, you drive your car onto the ferry and it's about a 10 minute ride across, um, across this little sea um, or a channel um, onto this tiny island. Uh, and the island, interestingly, it's got the highest rate of alcohol abuse, murder, <laughs> divorce, and cancer in Denmark. Fantastic. <laughs> How did you enjoy wait, it? I wait, can't that, wait to go there. If, if, yeah, if only a few people live there, that could all be in one, one person, one family. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That said, it's a very popular tourist destination. Um, people just don't like to hang around there too long. That's all. Okay. It's quite beautiful. It's it's really um, very quaint. Make sure town. you catch the last boat. Yeah, that's right. Don't, don't go at night and don't get caught. <laughs> don't get caught. Well, when I, I went ferry. on the ferry, there wasn't many people going on the ferry over there. We had basically the ferry to ourselves. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of people on the ferry back. We had to queue for about an hour. <laughs> so. 
yeah. there are a lot of people trying to get off Fainu. But, okay. um, yeah, the golf club, it's one of the oldest clubs in Denmark. I mentioned they're not making any new links in, in Denmark, so it's worth seeing just from that point of view. And they are marvellous stewards of the property. Um, the variety of species that you see on the ground are quite amazing. Like the, you're just a little walk off the fairway, which I did a fair bit of. Um, it, there's all sorts of heathers and lichen and uh, mosses and grasses. And um, it's, it's almost got a sci-fi look about it. There's so much colour off the fairways. Um, it's quite beautiful. Um, and the golf is good too. It's it's a short course, but uh, exposed to the winds in really rugged, um, beautiful dunes. Um, it's it's just a beautiful place to be, um, even in terrible weather. Uh, they've got very good paths too. But that complete lack of maintenance leads to good paths. I, I don't know why clubs spend so much money on making terrible paths oh, at huge expense when staggering. you can just let Genuinely people walk staggering. around and you get fantastic paths out of people just walking around yeah. and rabbits and stuff like That's that. That's right. People naturally find the most sensible way to get from point A to point B and the paths form themselves and they, they both look better and they go more directly to where you need to go rather than having these. That's right. Is there anything more offensive, Derek, than the turning circle, the concrete turning circle for the golf cart <laughs> next to the tee? That's peak cart. I mean, oh, you've geez. got the turning circle. Oh, my God. That's been built no. at the end of the uh, – at the end of the yeah. enough about yeah the cul-de-sac yeah. yeah that's right the cul the cul-de-sac next to the tea which is just the concrete cul-de-sac no yeah fantastic stuff um just moving away oh, you played somewhere in England I think we'll come to that a bit later Adrian was there somebody in England that you played that you haven't played before that you thought was yeah I played at um, Delamere Forest which yeah. is just south of Manchester um, there was uh, yeah little spare afternoon I had there you get around don't you, <laughs> you do um, get around. Just meetings. Meetings, yeah, that's right. Now, I think this is how your meeting schedule works. You have a look at a map, pick the golf courses you want to go and see, and then you try and find somebody in the area that you can have a meeting with. Is that how it works as opposed to the other way around? That's not how. I'll take you through it, Rod, but uh, off off air. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Delamere Forest uh, was a bit of a revelation. Yeah, it's it's a course I've seen before on maps when I've been sort of looking at that area. And I knew it, I knew it had a great reputation, um, but uh, I'd and I previously visited that area and played the Mere, which is up the road and is a bit, bit of a disappointment. This old James Braid, which has gotten all commercialised, they put a hotel on it, and they think you know they think it's fantastic, and it's okay, it's fine, you know. But it's Delamere Forest is um, just a great members club with a completely unspoiled golf course recently restored by Mackenzie and Ebert, um, originally a Herbert Fowler um, course built in the golden age on uh, what in a rare piece of land for Cheshire up near Manchester. It's um, on a deep sandy um, expanse of big rolling heathland and uh, uh, just a beautiful setting and uh, it's got some fantastic golf. Every hole has an extraordinary character to it and uh, some really great strategy too. Um, beautiful, beautiful place. Why is it so underrated? Here? We saw Walton Heath last year for the event that Tommy, I can't remember what it's called. the one that Tommy Another Herbert Fowler. Yeah. yeah. Why don't we see more of it? Why aren't we more familiar with it, I wonder? Because everybody who goes there, and Mike Clayton's a, a, one of the big proponents, is that Heathland golf is some of the best golf Imagine, but it's it's it just doesn't get the attention of Lynx Golf in the UK, does it? 
Yeah, I, I don't know why. And it's one of those things I'd love to see the Women's British Open regularly go to Heathland courses in addition to Lynx courses. Mm. The Brit- it obviously never happened for the, the Open Championship, but for the Women's British Open, I think there's a great opportunity for them to regularly go to your Sunningdales and Walton Heaths um, or even a Delamere Forest. Um, if you picked up Delamere Forest and deposited it down in Surrey, it, w- it would be world famous. It, it's a fantastic golf course. It's it's the equal of anything down there. Amazing place. What a yeah. What a crazy. Aren't a lot of the uh, the Heathland courses outside of London? Aren't a lot of them private as well? It it, it mm-hmm. may take yeah. you know versus you know most links. Some links courses are like Murfield is famously private, but for the most part, access is not much of an issue when you're playing along the coast, where it might be a little bit more prohibitive if you're traveling to the Heathland courses. Well, they've almost all got public playing times, um, and particularly if you're an overseas traveller, they'll they'll tend to accommodate you. Even um, Swinley Forest, you can they've got tea times now, um, oh. and and they have uh, uh, like social groups that even go there. I think um, certain days of the week. Uh, so yeah, um, it's it's not not at all the closed gate thing you'd you'd imagine. There's times when it's members only and. They, they won't be convinced otherwise. Like, there's no getting on there that would have um, at been those my, times. My perception, too, what Derek said. So maybe just the perception is as much a problem as the as, – and doesn't match the reality because I would automatically assume that they'd be much harder to get on the most of the Lynx courses as well, no, those Heathland courses. They've got, they've got times that they yeah. make available to everybody. Fantastic yeah. stuff. And uh, we fully recommend – I know you fully recommend people should go – and enjoy that from time to time. Derek, I wanted to come to you because I want to know what you've been up to. You've been extremely quiet on Twitter and around the place. I think you've been away. Where have you been? You wrote something in We have a little document that we talk about topics and stuff that we might chat about. And you said something here about you've spent six days with some top collegiate players in the US and your outlook on some of this stuff may be evolving. I am absolutely champing at the bit to know what you're talking about. Where have you been and what are you thinking? I have been traveling uh, for the last two weeks. Um, I just returned a few days ago, so I've been I've been busy. I've been on the road, but part of that trip was uh, research for a an upcoming magazine story about uh, the life of a Division One golfer and what it's like to to play at that level in college, and just to spend some time with with uh, I visited two different schools and just to see that what what these guys can do with a golf club in their hands. Um, and and see it up close. You know, it's one thing you can go to a tournament and watch them play, but to to follow them around and watch how they practice, and uh, it is it is breathtaking the way that that these kids at, can hit the ball, and they and they come into college fully formed. Um, you know, they'll get better at golf and the and the art of playing golf, but but the the swing and the club head speed. And the way they can compress the ball, uh, they have that already. Uh, you know, at at seventeen, eighteen years old, and and most of these kids have been working with a swing coach since they were who knows what age you know 10 maybe even age 10 maybe before that and it's just it was really inspiring to be around them and to see like you know they're on the golf course they look like full-grown men and then you see them behind the scenes off the golf course and you realize that these guys are just you know teenagers or maybe 20 21 years old just so they're so they're so young and a part of me, my my instinct after watching these these guys play golf and 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 practice and the way they went about their business, part of me starts to think it would be almost be tragic in a way to to regulate equipment away from them because you would never be able to see 
what they're capable of, that they have spent their whole lives using this equipment that was given to them, you know, that was available to them, and they've, they've built their entire games around it, and they, they wield it in a way that very, very few people are capable of wielding it. Uh, they've achieved the highest level for their age group that, that you can get to. And it's almost like, it, it, like I said, it, it almost seems, seems tragic to, to deny them that, you know, to, to utilize this to the best of their ability that they're capable of. Now, I know the argument is always that it, even if you gave them other equipment, the best would still uh, use it well and be successful, and the longest players would still be the longest players. But there's something just so so pure and, and beautiful about the the way a lot of these kids swing the golf club that uh, I don't know that I might I might not want to see that that go away. Um, the the other point though. So, so I guess I, I would say, like you know, my my views on on the technology and equipment may be evolving, but I think the what, the real takeaway for me is is that it, it made me realize that players at that level are not playing the same game that we are. And I know that's not an original thought, but it's it's so striking to see that it's it's not golf. It's just something It's just something different. Uh, it's not the same game, and they don't see golf courses or holes the same way we see them. They're they're not interested in the the little quirks and and the, uh, the you know the concept of attack and defense and the features that that all the things that make golf entertaining for almost everyone is not that relevant to them they they see a, a target they see a, a a shot that they have to hit and they want to get a result when they put a good swing on the ball so it i think where where, it, where it's taken me ultimately is I, I'm, I want to just leave professional golf alone at that level. I want to ignore it and not talk about it and let, let them play their game with their equipment and take that as far as they want to go. If it, and, and the rest of us concentrate on the things about golf that are important to us because they're two different sports. They're, they're just, they're, they're, they don't really relate to one another. Um, so that, that's kind of where my journey had taken me at like a great, respect and admiration for what these young men have been building toward their whole life and their their accomplishments and their abilities and also a realization that the things that we take for take for granted in golf the things that we find enjoyment in the things that turn us on to golf are not they're not important to these to these to that level of player they're into it for something completely different so i'm not sure that that the two uh the two things should ever really cross so that's kind of where, where my I said I'm evolving. It's still in development. I'm not sure. I may snap out of it. I may get back on the bifurcation <laughs> bandwagon. You've but, taken uh, the pin right out of the hand just, grenade and you've you've lobbed it. <laughs> you've lobbed yeah. it to the top. Uh, I've got. Right, it's you know, a good point though. It's like a it's like an exceptional trick shot, isn't it? When they hit these massive drives, like it's it's like a trick shot. It's it's a really special skill. It is. It is, and also I, I, I want to make this clear. I mean, they're not just great drivers of the golf ball. They don't just hit it far. They can work the ball to the extent that the equipment allows them to work it. I mean, if they can hit a cut, they can hit draws. Uh, they can hit. They hit three and four irons. I mean, they can smash these clubs. It's not like they they only can hit driver and only can hit wedge. They they can hit all the shots. They're they're that yeah. good. Um, so it's it's just I kind of want to say. Go do your thing. Go but do your thing. But it it's begs kind of cool. the immediate question, uh, Derek, and 
and and and this is part of the problem with this this argument. People think oh, that you're trying to you know stifle these kids or whatever. The, the the problem is that they never get to hit those three and four irons, except maybe off the tee of a four hundred yard par four where they don't want to hit drivers. So the game as a spectacle loses something. So the question becomes, where will they play? If you if you go down the path you're describing. Mm. <clears throat> Where do they play golf? Golf loses something because the course... Not the, not course, the old course. Sorry? Not the old course because, you know, today... Well, they already the, can't uh, play the old course. I mean, On the yeah. Dunhill Cup, the ninth was drivable, yeah. the 10th was drivable, the 12th was drivable. That's kind of always been the case. They, could, they drive the 12th. Drivable for everybody is the point. So I guess that's what it comes down to. Yeah, to, to, to go down course. the path that you're talking about, Derek, means that what you do is... Eliminate the golf course's role to some extent in what we know as golf, and that's what I've always thought was was wrong, uh, and changes the game fundamentally. Mm-hmm. No, I mean that that that's the counter. I mean that's one of the counter arguments. The I would just say that perhaps that's not why people watch golf. Perhaps they they are interested in uh, the the competition of the players who are in contention coming down the stretch. The golf course maybe maybe that's not it can't be, maybe it cannot be relevant to the professional level game because because you can't as as Adam Scott we talked about Adam Scott as he said you can't keep building them longer it's irrelevant I've seen it it's you just can't make a golf course long enough and so maybe we just lose that maybe. We have to settle for these incredible athletes powering the ball across a very bland field, but the enjoyment from a spectator's per- viewpoint is the competition: who's going to win? Yeah. yeah. And 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 to me, that would be tragic. I would hate I would hate for that to be the case. But that's the direction that professional golf is going right now. What's well, the only and, is. With, well, and if and if they, they choose not to regulate themselves, they will end up with the product that many people find bland, but perhaps it's not fatal. It might be all right. I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm being very kind saying that, but it's it's not the golf I want to see. Um, like, I know, look, I like, and maybe you could enlighten me on this, Derek, I like watching the NFL. I quite enjoy watching that. Like, it's, and the college football as well. I think it, it looks fantastic. It look there's this sci-fi look to it. Um, it. All of the little rough edges have been, shaven off it until it's just all pristine and mm-hmm. to the millimetre um, precise. And the players' skills match that precision beautifully. Like, they've just got some fantastic skills. And the whole thing combines to be a great spectacle. Um, but I don't know if that's a game that lost its soul, <laughs> you know, 10, 20 years ago um, and has become this clinical sci-fi mm-hmm. exhibition yeah. um which is enjoyable in its own right um but uh i wouldn't like to see golf go that way um with nfl i don't know any better but like i'm, I'm like the, the the mug uh golf person who thinks the waste management um tournament is, <laughs> is the best thing in the world so um but i don't know is is that what yeah no that's, that's a good idea yeah, I, mean, like, I, I think yeah i think i think the nfl is very antiseptic it's very scrubbed it's it's a polished product that's made for television i mean the game even the games you can almost figure out exactly how long they're going to last which never you could never do in football before 
it used yeah. to be a, a, a muddy game on you know they would play on on bad fields that every team had a unique character their uniforms were, were not as yeah. as stylized as they are now everything was was it was a little more interesting and, and grubby and that and there are a lot of people like like myself, you, I mean, I thought that was cool. That's the that's what I came up watching. Um, and I, I really can't watch the NFL too much now. It's it doesn't have a lot of appeal for me. But I'm the exception, and I think that might be the the case in in golf too. That I think I don't think people, the general public, watches golf for the same reasons that we're talking about in the, does, the way you and I and Rod watch golf, Derek. I would always contend that the, the truth of golf spectating, unlike every other sport, including NFL, and trust me, Adrian has never strapped on a helmet or a <laughs> set of shoulder pads. No? Virtually to a person. I play rugby. Yeah, virtually to a person, if you watch golf, you play it. And that is unique, I think, in sport. I don't think that's true of mm-hmm. tennis or football or soccer or cricket or any other sport. Some have different levels of participation, but when you talk about golf, the golf fan... Golf. Yeah. Is a golfer because there's no you, point. You play it golf. as an adult. Or, that's right. Yeah, it's a game. Game for life. You, you, yeah. you that's don't a, watch that's golf a good point. if you don't play golf because you don't understand mm-hmm. it. I mean, those three and that's some of Augusta, the drama of it. That's right. Yeah. You know what's at stake. Mm. That's and I, I think that's the thing I always look for in golf coverage, and I don't feel it at the Dunhill Cup. It's just attempting to be an entertainment. Well, they, were, they were talking but, up the the McElroy charge, the McElroy team charge for the team title because McElroy was no chance to yeah. win the tournament. And so there's there's a contrived element about that, but the story, but does that make sense what I'm saying there is that well, for, for it, professional it does, golf, but they at need the same to think time though, the, the, the the professional game is so it's just it's not the game that the people watching it who play golf play. What I mean it's it's not it? it's are people still watching it? So I was going to contend, and the, the topic I wanted to bring up was about this. The, the reality of golf viewing is it's been tied to Tiger Woods for the best part of two decades, and that was the case. They're in negotiations for the for future contracts at the moment. Um, Jeff Shackleton had a piece on his website. They've all trooped down to Florida to talk to the PGA Tour about various media rights at various platforms, the TV networks and, and various others. And the, the, the truth of the viewing figures from 2018 are – they were sort of up, but they were up really on the back of when Tiger Woods played. And so professional golf relies on, certainly in this modern era, a big name. And Tiger Woods is the only one who moves the needle that way beyond golf. Rory, Jordan, Dustin, Justin, Jason and Adam and all the rest move the needle a bit with golfers. But if you're talking about golfers going beyond its bounds of the people who play it watching it, there's only one, and that's Tiger. And he's almost done. There's no way, you know, even he can't beat Father Time. So professional yeah, golf it's... really has got a decision to make, hasn't it? That professional golf was successful in the past because you somewhat understood what the players did. There was a disconnect in skill level, but there was a very recognisable uh, similarity between what you did on Saturday and what you saw on the television. Now, that gap has just grown and grown and grown and grown. It's a testament to the talent of the players and the excellence of the equipment they use. But it's now got to the point, can golf survive as a sport where people watch it who don't play it, as do those other sports? And I'm not convinced and, that it can. And if you extrapolate it all out, Rod, as well, I think it's not beyond... It, it's not hysterical to imagine that uh, PGA Tour venues will be set up something like long drive venues are currently set up with uh which you know again goes to the nfl analogy where there's measured 
segments all the way down the fairway. And oh, you already get that on TV, don't you? You get the long drive. You, you get that with the overlays yeah, on, the overlay. like, a long drive hole every now and then. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see that on almost every single hole, whether it's overlays or actual paint on the turf. I don't know. <laughs> but that's I- – that's going to happen. Will and people watch it? Will people embrace it? Will it get to that broader audience? Because I think you're right, Adrian. You've said it on here on, on various podcasts a couple of times that it seems that the push from the PGA Tour at the moment is to turn the game into something that looks like a video game as opposed to a game played outdoors on a golf course. And all of what we're talking about here is, is definitely moving in that direction. So the question becomes, is, is that a smart move on the part of the PGA Tour? Is that a product you can sell? Derek. It can it can still be thrilling, like Derek said. It's the competition, right? I, I can find a tiddlywinks competition totally engrossing. Let's not like, set the bar if the, if the you, competition <laughs> with what you think is interesting. More broadly, but I think that was Derek's Derek's point is that <laughs> you can still make it fantastic TV if it's uh, a competition. I don't know. I, I would take some more convincing. I understand the point you're making, Derek, but I, I would. Take I don't, some I don't more want convincing. it. I, it would lose me. But that doesn't yeah. mean it can't survive. Well, I mean, we'd also have to, like, we're kind of maybe arguing facts, not in evidence. What were the, what kind of share or TV ratings, however you want to measure it, did the PGA Tour get in, in 1995? Uh, we, all, we all know that we're, we were assuming, I don't know if we've all seen the exact numbers, but we were assuming that, that viewership and ratings went up during the Tiger Woods era. I think it's safe to say oh, that they I did. I thought you were going to say peak Monty era. <laughs> but, <there>. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I mean, were the ratings great in this era before the modern technology and the drive and smash, and before Tiger, or are they still better now than then? I mean, I, I'm not sure. What happens in is we measure the standards against something that was maybe temporary or fleeting. Like, I'm not sure it's fair to to measure a post Tiger popularity of golf with Tiger popularity of golf. You should measure it against some other kind of equivalent era when you didn't have this dramatic occurrence. It's, it's like what we do in, in the United States, everybody's under the assumption that golf participation is down. And it's because we look over the last 15 years and we see that uh, in 2003, participation in rounds played peaked out. We had like over 30 million people who we consider we considered golfers at that time and what happened was a lot of those those were due to the tiger bump but it, tr- it was trending up until then and, and then it, it kind of crashed and then the recession happened and and people left but that was an inflated bubble that was not a true measurement of the people who really love to play golf now we're kind of leveled out at about 23 million people and that's right where golf was when tiger woods came onto the scene so that's the actual number of of golfers in the united states and it's been fairly consistent I think television viewership you'd find is it's kind of the same thing. There's a true number of people who like golf and are willing to watch golf, but the network's expectations and whoever else is behind it and their demand for growth and the demand to make money believes that that number should be higher than it is. So it, then you have this you know, discrepancy between what reality is and, and what their projections and their desires are. And we get caught in this trap. It's just like any, like a public traded company, you know, who demands, you know, dividends every quarter. It's not maybe healthy and it's not realistic. And I think ratings can kind of be taken in that same, looked at in that same vein. Mm. And I agree always looking for more than what's there. Yes, yeah. of course. So the question becomes, is it a sensible business decision for, let's just go with the PGA Tour for the moment, to try to live up to 
those unrealistic expectations because that's what it looks like they're trying to do. And what's the potential fallout for that? I think there's some potential impacts for golf more broadly if that policy or business plan doesn't work out particularly well. I think it could be quite damaging if they get it right. Yeah, I mean, I I would argue that they're getting a lot wrong right now. I mean, Adrian's kind of, I think it was a joke, but maybe not about putting like a grid on the fairways of, of on tournament golf courses is maybe not that far off. I mean, that is a, that's a awful thought, but out of desperation, especially if it's not with the metric system as well, just no good. Oh, yeah. If it's in yards, yeah. it'll just be terribly confused, <laughs> but also, but also with, with, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see, actually, I'd like to see a FedEx courier running up the fairway and like placing a package down like next to, like they do at with the, the spot. Thing. That's right. Yeah. At the spot where the, First oh, down is have the have, have, have the FedEx courier run up and place a package down where the first down is as soon as the driver drive, stops drive like the yeah. FedEx truck right on yeah. the fairway yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry but you know the PGA, the PGA tour is is has done itself very very few favors by not by not doing something about the style of golf that's being played I think I think it's hurting the brand um, I agree with you Rod you know from a from that perspective um, the way they set up golf courses. Um, the message that that sends, um, they're, I think they're putting themselves they're They've been putting themselves in a very dangerous spot, uh, going now back 15, 20 years. Um, and that does have serious implications, but at the same time, they're, they're desperate for growth and desperate to get, you know, higher viewership numbers. So they're going to try whatever it takes. And these, it's going to continue to get more and more outlandish, I think. What better example than the European Tour's new slogan? What, what is it? It'd be a great example if I could remember what it is. Driving further? Drive, driving that? further, yeah. Is that what it is, driving further? Oh, something like that. It's like give us more, basically, is, is how I read it. It's, you know, we're more than golf or more than just this, you know. There's there's more, more, more. Driving that's, golf that's how I read it. Further. There you go. Driving golf further, driving yep. Golf. Thank you. That's where, terrible. Where, where are they driving us? It's terrible. It is terrible. It's so banal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just banal corporate speak. But so um, is, the, yeah, is, is the relationship between golfers and professional golfers in our bubble, in my bubble on Twitter, there's no question that there's a real pushback against professional golf. People are people who used to love it are really anti the PGA Tour. There's some real anti PGA Tour and European Tour sentiment. Do you think that's more widely spread, Derek, or is it just in the little world? of bitter people that I, that I live in. I, I think that's the bubble world. I think, I think if, if you look, if you traveled around, at least in America, if you traveled around and just talked to people at the golf course and go into the grill afterwards, I, I don't think that anybody would, I think you'd find very few people that whose opinion was that the PGA tour is, is not a great product or that it's, it's making poor decisions or it's, it's not interesting uh, so I think the the it's a purist minority view that that thinks things are not what they should be. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a spectrum problem. I think most people are indifferent to professional golf. Will watch it occasionally, well, even golfers. Yeah, when it's something that interests them, and they don't give it much thought beyond that. As most people don't give much no, thought I mean, I, just, to the game. If you if you win and and ask just the the average player and and people somebody that you didn't know and and talk to them about bifurcation. And introducing a, a tournament ball to professional golf. I mean, I think 
nine out of 10 people would look at you like you're crazy. They'd be like, why would you do that? That's, there's no need for that. Um, I think, so I, I think our viewpoints are, are definitely in the minority. But do we have a responsibility, Adrian? Is it important that there are people like us who take an interest beyond the casual fan in the interests of the game more broadly? Or am I overstating the role that, uh, that we feel like we're playing? I think you've got to start somewhere. So um, if, we weren't, if we weren't saying anything and having even a small effect, then there's, there's no point. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. We should be continuing to do because uh, they're quite big questions. They're quite big questions about where the game will be in fifty years' time. Will what will the golfers of twenty seventy look back and say about yes. this era of golf? And those of us who were part of this, you know, what is the media now with podcasts and magazines and blogs and all the rest of it? What what role did we play, and and how did we do? How are they going to mark us out of ten, Derek? We get to shape the game a little bit. No, it's our it's if. It's your responsibility to talk about it, to talk about the things that you believe in and that you're passionate about. And we're passionate about golf, and I'm passionate specifically about golf courses. What I this goes back to my topic about the watching the college players is I'd rather I think I don't know where the like I just said the PGA Tour I think is digging itself a hole, but that's the PGA Tour. I I don't know that there's a, a direct connection to the game of golf. I know there's a, I think it has to do there. If there is, it has to do with maintenance, uh, spending money on golf courses and, and golf's just kind of overall image. But as it affects the way we play golf, when you and I want to go out to a golf course and, and, and have a hit, I, I don't know that it has any effect on the PGA tour. And those things have any effect on the way we actually play golf, which is kind of my point about watching these division one kids. I want to treat that level of golf separately than the golf that I experience and the golf that I like. Um, there are other issues in golf that don't have to do with the professional game that are demanding of attention. And I think that's where the, the focus should, should be, or that's what I think that's, that's where my focus is, is best spent. So what, what sort of things do you mean by that? Cause there, there are definite links between professional golf and participation. It's most people's first uh, experience of golf. For, for many, will be seeing it on TV and saying, oh, I'd like to give that a go. So the style of golf that they see and what golf looks like on TV impacts whether they want to do it. But what sorts of things outside of that do you think that you're talking about that you think are important to talk about? Golf's, uh, golf's image as, a, as an elitist sport, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the cost, maintenance practices, how we take care of golf courses, how the environment, the environmental impact of golf courses, um, architecture having not blowing opportunities when we can uh alter golf courses from something mundane into something interesting and original making sure that or or using our voice if we see uh golf course development uh begin to rise again i've I've seen reports recently about how you know housing project golf courses are starting to take off and not take off but we're starting to see them pop up again uh, in the United States, in different places, monitoring that, just using our influence, just to make the game, the game kind of healthier and quicker. You know, we talk all the time about trying to promote uh, shorter golf experiences, quicker rounds, um, alternative style courses. Those are the kind of things that have a direct impact on how we play golf, not how we view golf. And I think that's what that's what I think is the real hook. Um, I agree with you. I think. 
people's introduction to golf is through the television and that's not going to change people will still watch golf because of the entertainment value and the competition and hopefully some new personalities become developed but how we play golf on saturdays or wednesday afternoons i i think that 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 there's a lot there that we can focus on and it doesn't have anything to do with with brooks kapka Mm. one one great example i suppose adrian public golf which we've been banging on about for about 18 months now is far more important than whether rory McIlroy thinks the course setups are too easy or too tough on the European tour, isn't it? It's a much, much, much more important issue. Yeah, it's it's interesting that in the courses that you know that issue of golf's elitism is uh, is something to be addressed all around the world. I think, and certainly it's an issue. It's it's very much an issue in the states, but it's an issue in Australia as well. It's ironic though that the the golfers who suffer um, the consequences of that are the people who. Are not the um, elite golfers. Are not not cl- golf club members. <laughs> and right. yeah, the very few golf courses that they can get on are the ones that get taken away. Yep. Um, and ironically, the private clubs, the more exclusive they are, uh, the more ensconced they are and very unlikely to have that stronghold um, taken down. So, uh, not, you know, not, not that I want to see that either. It's. Um, it's uh, just this overall perception thing. I think it might be golf's um, needs to be addressed. It might be golf's biggest problem as a recreation and as a business, as an industry, is that image problem because it leads to, as you say, Adrian, courses get closed. And the prime example was here in Sydney, which we talked about at the time. They just closed down Hudson Park, which was no great golf course, but it was a golf facility. The council just closed it down with this notion of we want to use that space for the many, not the few. When in fact mm, the golfing what, needs of the few. That's right. So, so what golf yeah. really needs is to be going out and convincing councils and um, you know government, local governments, that in fact they have a responsibility to promote golf as much as any and every other sport because it has so many other things to offer, and that's and in some councils, golf. yeah, in some council areas, it's the the main sport for the largest demographic. Uh, that live in their council area in terms of age groups, of especially with an ageing population. You can't send out a message that says we want to make sure that as people get older they remain active because it's good for them in all sorts of ways and by the way we're closing the local golf course because of all the activities that people have assumed. Maybe the one sport that you That's could right. take up. That they'll keep yeah. doing and keep doing into their 70s and 80s and 90s and you can't say we want people to do that and then take that away and have that message be, both of those messages be yeah, that's a that's a personal sort of bugbear of mine. I think we'll keep hammering that point. Somebody needs to be doing that tour of Australia and probably America, Derek, and pointing out to, to local governments why they should be promoting golf, why it's worth having a golf course and an interesting golf course and a better golf course than the one they've got. And and it's why I, I think it's really worth talking about courses like Fainu and yes. um, those courses that don't spend a lot of money mm-hmm. and why Fainu has fake grass tees, but it doesn't matter. And in fact, they, they've got fake grass tees and they can put them in extraordinary places like at the top of a dune or something and they're not destroying that dune. There's a little path that goes up just from people walking up to the top of the dune and then there's this fake grass tee that doesn't require any infrastructure around it. And there you go. You've, you've got golf being played with very little disruption and very, very little cost. And, uh, yeah, the, the land around it is amazing. It's an amazing place to play golf. Um but yeah, it's so. It's, it's a great example. That's so why it's a custodian of the game. That's right. It's so typical of the game, though, isn't it, Derek? That 
you know, the great joy of golf is that it's so broad and there's no real boundary lines. You can do anything you want. You can be so creative with it. And yet what we do with golf is continue to homogenize it and make it narrow and narrow. And it has to be par 72 and it has to be 18. All these things to the detriment of the game. But somehow it's what provides. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, I mean, I mean, and that goes back to, to your point and the one that I said I was having a hard time kind of illustrating or drawing the link between. But I mean, a lot of that stuff does come from what we see on television. You know, the par, par 72 championship style golf courses, lush green conditions, um, you know, high, high rough. Yeah, I define. I mean, yeah. that's kind of what um, that's that is that is the downside of the product that we're seeing on TV. And that and, and in that way, it, it definitely does creep into the to the courses that we actually play in in our everyday golf so the obsession um, with condition is absolutely oh, at the feet of professional golf and it is an obsession yes, amongst golfers there's no question yes to, to, to the detriment to the absolute exclusion of almost everything else now, most golfers would rather play a poor golf course in good condition than a mm-hmm. great golf course in poor condition and that's really quite absolutely sad. and it's a yeah it's yeah. a shocking state of affairs uh well uh, i'm going to go away and think about the bombshell that you've dropped there derek you mm-hmm. it, it, You've really I might made snap me think. out of it. Well, it's not. We've about got it. hundreds Look, of episodes to. We have. But here's the, <laughs> so. it, it's a very real and very big question that everybody in the game needs to think about. Uh, anybody who's got an interest in the game, what the future of the game is going to be. We really are at a a nexus here, a crossroads. I think we were here once before when the Haskell ball changed the game uh, irrevocably all those years ago. One of the great results of that was Golden Age design. Are we? Yeah. Can the game yeah. do that yeah. again? It's a no, different maybe. time. That's the thing, though, because at that, at that period of time, yeah, there, the, yeah, it was possible to right. to build many new golf courses and to go and and retrofit old golf courses for whatever reasons. But you know, every golf course that survived basically had to update itself mm-hmm. against the technology. But I, I don't think we can do that anymore. <laughs> Pretty sure we can't. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, just before we go, did everybody read the course superintendent story that Ron Witten did in Golf Digest about mental health? It was fantastic. So we're going to get Kurt Beautiful. Sure to talk yeah, about that. Great piece. Part, I think, who, uh, yeah. who does the course reports on the Talking Golf Network. So he'll come on and have a chat about that. Uh, and the last one I wanted to mention was, did everybody else hear Garrett Ford's debut as a podcast host on the Fried Egg with Bob Crosby? That was good. Yeah. No, I haven't two, listened to two it great yet. Minds. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, Garrett. I'll I'll check that out. I've, um, just still catch. As you can tell, I'm still catching yeah. up on a lot of things. Do yourself a favor. Do what I did, Derek. Wait till you've got an hour to sit and listen to the whole thing in one go, because it is absolutely where there's a lot to absorb. And I think I'm going to go back and listen to it again. It was fantastic. Yeah. And so. I can't wait to read read uh, Ron's piece on the superintendents. I I know he'd been working on that for a long, long time, and I know the Golf Digest people were really excited about that important story so i haven't read it yet and i'll be doing that this week for sure no more going away for you i think that's the message uh you've you've had your mind poisoned uh by yeah. golfers well, this is and you've, disturbing. You've, you've missed all the good stuff that's been going on in our bubble while you've been away derek no more going away for you prodigal son you've returned and we're gonna i know look what happens when i get outside the yeah, that's exactly yeah, change, man. yeah. Go go I, i'm gonna come back inside i'm gonna come back inside yeah, you're sending it to the camp. Ministry of Love for yeah, re-education. That's right. The simpler world. <laughs> Send you down to you can go down to the sandbelt and spend a week with Mike Clayton. That'll be a re-education camp. You'll come out the other side yeah. just pristine that's like right. you were before. I hope he doesn't listen to this because I don't think he'll be my friend anymore. <laughs> Clayton's is far more open-minded than we think. But the thing about Clayton, I wish he was here. He'd have all the answers for you that I don't have. Uh, Derek, 
been fantastic to talk to you, my friend. Really looking forward to joining you. Well, at this stage, I think we're going to try and do yep. weekly. We'll see how it pans out. We don't know how timetable is. We'll try and do weekly with the show. We're at least two out of the three of us with each one, and we'll get some guests along. Clates will be there as part of it, Good. Uh, no doubt, from time to time. But been terrific to have you on episode The flagship two. has officially launched, That's mate. Right. It's officially launched, mate. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> we're, ro- we're broadcasting. <laughs> That's right. We're broadcasting. <laughs> and broadcasting, yep. Get out of here. Nice to chat to you. Logue, always nice to chat to you, my friend. When are you back in Sydney? We're going to see you in the office. Next week. Outstanding. Will you be Monday? Uh, maybe. Yeah, might be getting over some jet lag. We'll see how we go. Well, you can get over it here at the Sydney Podcast Studios. You love the little office in here, mate. It's a fantastic place to be. That wraps up episode two, which is really kind of episode one of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking. We'll be back to do it all again next week here on Good Good Golf.